0: The first question that you have to ask yourself is what's the reason for doing this? What's, what's the goal? So if the goal is, if the goal is to make money, which is the case for Silicon Valley, the approach is always going to be like search a market where the biggest market is.
1: Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convo's, and we are live with episode fifty-nine. I'm your host Diego, together with Shan Luk. Shan Luk, how's it going?
0: I I have to say I really like the intro song. I I don't know if it's the montage that you made or it's just the song. But I mean, I get excited when I hear the song. I don't. I'm not sure if it's the same for you. But i I do get excited,
1: you know that that was actually a, a question I was gonna ask one of our guests that we'll have coming on. Yeah. so once once we get them, we we could dive a bit deeper on you know the the mechanics on videos, music, how that goes well together. But yeah, do you think we need a refresh though, or is it standing the the test of time?
0: I think, I think the song is great. I think the official the is good. I think when we reach a hundred episodes, we might have to switch it up. It does have the nice talkative. We're going to talk about something fun today and not necessarily like this on rampage, everybody gets excited. And that is something I do want to do today because when we, when we go live on social convos, when we have a guest, it's all about the guest. Then we talk about the guest. We look into what is exciting for the people that are tuning in, either watching live or listening in. And then when we don't have a guest, I do feel like, and that's what I want to talk about today is in some cases, often we geek out. And in other cases, it's good to be relatable. So what I want to do today is go a little bit geek out versus relatable and talk a little bit about topics that are concerning everybody in Suriname, concerning everybody in the world everybody in our generation, everybody that wants to tune in and uh, flourish. So so let, let, let me
1: immediately pose the question, since we're talking about geeking out and being relatable, why or how do you see geeking out not being relatable?
0: So here's the thing about geeking out, especially if we go into the Web3 space, I feel like when I start talking about NFTs, people, I mean, the people who are into the space are like, yeah, we want to learn more about it. And the people who are not into the space are like, yeah, maybe next time, you know, like, leave that leave this episode on. And, but, and I feel
1: Yeah, but wouldn't that be the definition of being relatable and defining a niche, like audience uh, that is like really into the topic you are talking about as well, creating a oh. closer, closer bond of relatability. Or exactly. is more like, you know, it being relatable, something more evergreen or generic that kind of the the average person can understand?
0: It's like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be like ultra niche that you're like, okay, I'm really catering towards an audience. And here's the thing. If you're ultra niche, there's nothing wrong with that, but then you really have to dive into the Twitter space into, to Twitter and LinkedIn and really connect with our our Discord in in that matter, like we were discussing last week and really connect and jump in with with them. And then you have this group that's really coming in just for that. But I'm looking more from a a skill level where I wanna bring people who are not accustomed to the space in to understand the basic dynamics of something. And then it's different. By the way, shout out to Tyler. We do have to tell you, Tyler, you're going to have to jump in back on, on March 15th. So that's the first disclaimer that we have to give is that you're going to have to jump back on, on March 15th, which by the way, I'm not in Suriname on March 15th. Oh,
1: are you going to be in San Diego?
0: Yeah, I'm actually going to be in San Diego. Oh my God, how I'm going to do that. It's going to be 7 p.m. Oh, that's going to be a wild episode. We might have to schedule <laughs> a week later then. And on the 22nd second, I'm traveling, Diego.
1: We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out.
0: We'll figure it out. And I'm also but, on the West Coast. So now you're really putting me in a picture. I'm also on the West Coast. So what, what's the West Coast standard time at the moment? Uh,
1: that the specific time. The, Pacific. the West Coast is Pacific, Pacific. time. It's like Pacific. five. Four or five hours from us.
0: So it's it's five hours difference. So that would be at four o'clock. Wow. It's gonna be during the closing keynote. Okay, this is this is gotta be interesting. I I, see here's the here's the thing, Diego. This is something that we should discuss. When we started out social controls, it was due to COVID.
1: Yeah. And And the timing, everything we around it, everyone is home. Yeah. our your time. Now,
0: Tuesday, Tuesday is still a great, great day to to go live in the evening. But as things are changing, there are going to be events and things like that. Okay. This is going to be fun. Tyler, we, we, the love is mutual, man. And yes, we're, we're going to make, we're going to make it work. I just have to figure out how I'm going to make that work because I've, if I'm scheduled to work, I'm actually scheduled to work. So that that will be interesting. For those that are, of you that don't know, I'm leaving on the 12th of March to go to San Diego. It's basically an annual trip for me. I'm a volunteer at the Social Media Marketing World, which is the biggest social media conference in the world. And it's kind of it's And I will definitely go into it more with, with our guest on the 15th. For me in 2014, the social media marketing world kind of changed my perspective on what it meant to have a, soci- a career in social media. So I, be- I basically go back every year and for the past three editions, I think, I've gone as a volunteer. So I no longer go to actually experience the
1: conference as a participant. You're actually going to experience the conference.
0: But I actually... And, and the, the, the volunteer work that I do is really behind the scenes and I really love it. So for me, it's really going back, looking behind the scenes, looking at a conference that is at its peak was, I think 20 times the size of our conference in Suriname, both in volunteers and in actual attendance. I think live attendance was around 6,000, like four years ago. 6,000 people joining the social media marketing world live and the volunteers were over I think over 100, 150 volunteers. So you just have to imagine the event is so big that they had over 150 volunteers. so and these are people just like myself. It's not like we're students and we're just starting out but these are like the people that we got to meet. I got to meet Doreen for instance as as a fellow volunteer. And I mean, she's awesome. Right? So yeah, much
1: she's fun. amazing.
0: So, so these are like actual people who have like big social media careers as well. We just volunteer for the sake of it. They go and... Uh, I,
1: I think it's that that's the core, right? Like it's, it's for the space, it's for the industry, it's yeah. to transfer knowledge, experience, network. And that's what these events are actually about. It's, it's, for me, at least, the way I see it, it's less about the actual content or the keynotes or the presentation. But... More about the people who attend, the kind of you know leverage and baggage that is there to kind of make these serendipitous connections. When whenever you meet, as you said, with, with, when we you met Dorina, that that orange and and Dutch speaking identity kind of connected you two uh, together. So that which is that...
0: which is funny, which is funny because we were there both before, and somehow we didn't connect the first time, and that's how big it is. So for. For address I thank you for joining. And so, yes, so it's basically social media marketing world is, is an event by social media examiner and they have been doing this event for over 10 years in San Diego. It started out in the Hyatt, in the Manchester Hyatt in San Diego. When I went to 2014, I talk, I think it was already at 2000 attendees and it grew to 6,000 plus in 2018, I think. And they ended up renting a uh, part of the convention center in San Diego. That's how big it was. So they took, I think one third or one fourth of the convention center. And I've been lucky enough to be a part of the volunteer volunteer staff for the, for the conference. And that's basically where I'm going. I'm not going alone. I'm actually being joined by one of my business partners this year. And the last time was two years ago, uh, our conference director joined in as well. So we get a learning experience and also to enjoy San Diego. And one thing that's different this year is I'm not flying through Miami. Usually I fly through Miami to go to San Diego, but this year I'm going to fly through Panama. So I'm going to fly from Paramaribo to Panama to LAX. Interesting. Experience that for the first time. So that's also, so while we were backstage trying to get everything started for this episode, I was in, in contact with, with the airline, making sure I had my ticket. So that's finished. We still have to do a couple of things, other things, but this will be my first time flying. That's pretty cool. Uh, to, to us in, in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. So that's completely different experience.
1: Yeah. The, the Panama road is uh, something I've, I'm looking forward to. You know, it, it adds another option for, for us to be able to travel to the different destinations. But speaking of geeking out and being relatable, let, let's keep it at the conference a bit. You've attended like four or five social media conferences in San Diego already. So looking at the trend and especially with, I won't say COVID behind us yet, what's one thing you're geeking out about for this year's conference?
0: So the, f- the first thing that people should know, the last conference I attended pre-COVID was Social Media Marketing World 2020. And that was, that was a life-changing one. In the sense, I met up with Mark Mark Shaver. Mark Shaver is a well-known speaker and author of multiple business books. He also has two patents and he's actually one of the people that I really want to get to Suriname and he's already kind of in line to come to Suriname. Uh, He actually already spoke as a keynote, I think in 2020, last year at our conference, but it was digital. It's not the same thing, having somebody being here physically present and Somebody talking, so, and there are just so many good connections that I made on, on 2020. And that was the last conference I attended and and that COVID broke out like large. Then the funny thing is where, while I was in in San Diego, the first COVID cases were coming in in California. And this will be like our first big event that I get to be part of basically post COVID. So we're really looking to learn from San Diego, how they approach things, how the protocols are going to be so that we can have a physical conference in Suriname as well in in October this year, later this year. So it's a really, it's a really interesting test case for us to see like how people How different is it? Will people be shaking hands? For instance, what's the interaction with the the mask? The energy. (laughs) I have no idea like, like how, how approachable will people be? Will they be doing fist bumps? Will they have like an elbow up? Will they like namaste and and keep distance? I have no idea how that's going to play out. So that's, that's really uh, interesting.
1: Yeah. Curious to see how that gets translated back here once you guys are back. So uh, looking forward to that as well. So
0: yeah. I, I want to quickly, because I want to keep it at the relatable one, because we have some comments first, all, shout out to Sherwin as well as Moreno for joining. And yes, Sherwin, I'm pretty interested to see how the Copa airlines travel straight to the US through Panama is going to be. And I want to jump into the to comment of.
1: It's are the borders with Japan open yet? Because I'm yeah, so, an eye on that. Sometimes. So so
0: so I want to because basically this this is the the GCI summit is is uh, event is also kind of similar to to San Diego in the sense that the the amount of people you're gonna meet the connections the experience that you're gonna have in, in certain events because they're that big. These are like really they can be. Well, they can be just great experiences or just life-changing and you actually have a GCI event coming up so are you free enough to talk a little bit about the event that you guys are going to be going to be hosting uh, with with your uh, local chapter
1: yeah sure so uh, there's actually several events and Moreno is also I'd say leading one of them and it's not a chapter level it's more like a national level so we're running two programs to be able to participate internationally as well. The first one being the Creative Young Entrepreneur Program. That's the one I'm running and Porino's running the Type, 10 Outstanding Young Persons. And we'll be running it from this month, March and April. So we are able to, I guess, submit in May when the Conference of the Americas takes place. So the the first one is uh, more for business people, the creative young entrepreneur, people who have a business, uh, who have an idea and who want to, you know, get to the next level pitch in front of a expert panel and get tips, advice, potentially get investors and go moving forward to the Conference of the Americas pitch for an international audience. I had the opportunity to participate last year during the pilot version. But that's kind of how we, how I met Tyler as well. And he was also one of the participants who made it to the finals for the world competition as well. And the TOYP is more like a community driven for identifying people who are just, you know, contributing to society and to get uh, more of a recognition by the community. So keep an eye on those two definitely so quick
0: uh quick shout out as well to jonathan listen jonathan and like people that are tuning in we like to go with a group to san diego please please keep that in mind like i'm i'm telling you this but it, in the grand scheme of things there's also going and guiano and i i think this is our going to be our third trip together to san diego and yeah also volunteering and it even though we don't we don't have the same kind of travel schedule because he flies in from Curaçao and Michael from, from Suriname. It's kind of this kind of funny situation where you're, you're kind of building this Caribbean vibe as well. And I really want to have more people because I think people underestimate this conference. People underestimate social media in general. First time. Yes, Gerald, you should, you should just join. I mean, the first time that I went to a social media marketing world was in 2014. And when I was in 2014, that was back in the Hyatt, which was 2000 participants. And I was blown away. I want, I I couldn't figure out which sessions to go to because you have to imagine at that time, there were already like five parallel tracks. So basically you have to do at the same time at every moment during the day, except for the keynotes, there are five simultaneous sessions. And you have to figure out which one you want to go to. Do you want to go on Facebook advertising or do you want to go corporate strategy or do you want to go into LinkedIn groups or do you want to go in organic traffic or do you want to go? So basically there's so many things happening at once that you don't have the opportunity to follow all. So I was a little bit overwhelmed when I went in 2014. And then when I went in 2018, uh, because it took a couple of years to go back, but once we started with Ineffable, one of the things that I promised myself when we started the social media conference here now, which is kind of based on loosely based on the social media marketing world, I told myself, I have to go back. And I already knew how overwhelming it was in 2014. So at that time, we went with a group which consisted with Megan and Jill as well. So, where four of us, four Surinamese people were there. And I told them in advance, like, guys, this is going to be overwhelming. Make sure you pick your battles, you pick which sessions you go to. And at that time it moved from five simultaneous sessions to eight simultaneous sessions. So you can imagine that if Ooh, you're eight simultaneous sessions, you just, you get information overload. And that's just following the sessions. That's not even networking. That's not even meeting up with people that you wanna to attend to. That's not even like, and there's networking on a personal level during the conference. But then there's also online networking. So in 2014, whenever I met somebody at the conference and we connected, we found out that we had already connected to Twitter. So a lot of people that I was meeting up with and we were like, Hey, let's keep in touch and then we would go to Twitter and we were like, Oh, we're already following each other. And these are like people that I'm still in touch with. Some of them were even speakers that, that I kept in touch with through all these years. And so Jonathan, yeah, let's definitely team up next time. It's going to be back in 2023. So yeah, the, bigger
1: the, group, uh, it.
0: <laughs> yeah, the bigger the group, uh, the more fun it is. And also it gets a bit cheaper once you're in the group because you yeah. can room share, you can share transport, like get a big car and, and kind of carpool around.
1: If, if you yeah. think about it logistically, because you only need a room to sleep to, to dump your stuff at because most of the time you're just going to be on the conference floor in the stadium. You only head back to the hotel to freshen up and it can be overwhelming. So sometimes it's even better to, if you look at it logistically, find a place nearby, play a bit more with the group and just to And as a certain
0: as Vietnamese people, you tend to like gather around the person who has the hotel room closest to the venue you have to be at. Yeah, like it, it isn't weird to just be with eight people on, in one hotel room, just like prepping to go towards an event. It's, it's
1: just funny. a checkpoint.
0: <laughs> just a checkpoint because it, I didn't have I ever mention this about like, why Surinamese people kind of like to do that.
1: I don't, I don't recall. We actually went into it. So I, th- I think it's, it's yes.
0: different. I, I'm not going to say it's typical Surinamese for people to gather at one spot before you actually go to the event. But it's something I noticed that we tend to do. Like when I lived in the Netherlands, if we were going to go to Scheveningen to the beach, we would always meet up at somebody's spot in the Hague. And from there, the whole group would move to the beach. We would never meet at the beach. We would always meet at one of our friends' houses at the Hague. And I was trying to figure out what uh, the psychological or like the cultural thing behind it was. And then once I was in Manchester. And we weren't, I was studying in Manchester and we had to wait for the group to be all together to move to the event that we were going to. And we were standing at the bus station in Manchester. Now, I don't know how much it has changed, but back in 2009, the Manchester bus station, there was nowhere you could hide if it was heavy rain. Like you would get wet wherever you were standing. There was like no space that you could move in that you could stay dry. So basically, we were waiting for half an hour for one person in the group. Oh, no, in the middle of the rain. And that's when I realized this is why certain these people always meet at somebody's apartment. So everybody can just come in their own time. And there's like a space or window of two hours in which people can come together. And then when everybody's there after two hours, okay, if you're really, really late after the two hours, we're going to beat you at the event, but it, it kind of has like this group thing where we kind of, and then we move together.
1: I think it, it's also, if, if you look at it, it's how oh, I, I forgot the, the terminologies about it, but it's, it's, you, you have the, ooh, I'm drawing a blank. You have the individualistic type of more Western type, and you have the more communal community type. And I I think Surinamese culture tends to be more on the the spectrum of a community side. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're going into Hofstede here. A national
1: culture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Papa forgot (laughs) that, that was a term. Yeah. We're more of a collective, we're more of a collective, collective uh, collective, uh, culture. Exactly. I think that also plays a role in uh, why that happens. Looking back at that, also the JCI events I've been, the conferences, usually the, the, a similar thing tends to happen either one or two hotel rooms, people gather, and then they move together, walk together to grab a bite to eat, etc. cetera.
0: It's, it's also a Caribbean thing, I think as well. Yeah.
1: So it, it's, it's kind uh, of,
0: it's kind of having fun. And whereas like the Western approach is like time is money and it has to be efficient. So I have this slot available. So let's meet at the restaurant at that set time. And if you're late, sorry, we're going to start without you. It'll
1: be scheduled about okay. uh, okay. 10 months later.
0: Yeah. Let's have a pre-party before the pre-party, you know? So it's like, and you can flow in whenever you want. And then uh, Giano is great in these kind of things because he always gets into the parties, those kind of parties. So it's, it's, it's going to be fun. For me, it's going to be a tough challenge to find my schedule to, to have the convos during the conference, but we're gonna we're gonna find a way. And Gerald, yeah, it, it really is. It really is a lot of fun.
1: And Hey, tech tech yeah, I, make I, that I, happen. If we got to do it Mobile Warrior on the floor, we're gonna do it like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's gonna be a different episode. I think it's better to, to ask DRock to, to maybe even do the 2029. 20, it sounds so far away, but I think it might even be
1: it, It's gonna go fast. My God, uh, yeah. I, I blinked and it was March 1st already. I like, wait, where, where did the time go? So yeah.
0: And and but, the 22nd, the 22nd is most definitely going to be a travel, travel, social confos. I have no idea what we're gonna do. But I'm going to be in the I'm going to be at the airport at Panama. That's something I can guarantee you.
1: We can do a social experiment.
0: Yeah, I think this is going to be a very interesting social experiment. I'm ch- challenging myself right now to, to make this work. I, I, I really didn't consider that this was good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's just got to be a lot of fun.
1: Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to the updates on the conference. So let's dive, the, dive back to our, you know, geeking out versus being relatable. And we've kind of, you know, explored this geeking out and being relatable part uh, a bit. Yeah, where, where where do you want to take this first on the geeking out, geeking out part? Because when we geek out, Yeah, we geek out. Is it more like the language we use? Is it more like, at at what point do you notice that, or do you feel like our, we we have a core group of audience, but that we're going a bit too far that they're not able to follow as usual anymore?
0: No, I don't think it's we're going too far or the audience is following. It's just that how do you make the first question you should ask yourself, something like NFTs, is it ever going to be mainstream? Like, just like collectibles, have collectibles been mainstream or can you just say like people, some people are just not prone to collecting stuff. They're not, I am a harder for instance, I'm, um, I've been trying minimalistic courses to kind of throw things out of my, my house, which I really need to do now because I'm looking in, in, in the office and I just,
1: I, I'm really proud of like myself on Going that minimalistic route on certain things, especially every, I, I used to every once or twice a year do do a big cleanup. But the, the past couple of years, like I, I bought very few new stuff. I I have a set pair of pants, fashion, etc. And and it's becoming really smaller and smaller. And it's not necessarily like I want that, I need that. It's I'm also thinking of it like practically, like well. Is it useful in that sense? So that that's one thing I I am proud of myself for for progressing like you know keeping that pace and not being wasteful. Of of course you can splurge every now and then, but I have been more conscious on it. And that's,
0: that's why I kind of like. But
1: even the hoarding that's part. That's why part. I like
0: NFTs. No, but that's why I like NFTs kind of because if it's, it it doesn't moves take that you like space. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't take the physical space. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I like, like, if I can call it like the dozens of NFTs, okay, okay. Some NFTs are worth, like not even worth a penny. So, I mean, that doesn't matter, but like, it's a lot of, for some people, worthless stuff. And I, that's where I think about the geeking out part that it becomes to an extent that I can really, really get enthusiastic about D City, for instance. Yeah. And like, even if you're a big SimCity fan, if you used to play SimCity when you were a kid, you might not get excited as I am for, for D City. So these kind of things that I feel like were we're going we're drifting off a little bit too much towards the geeky side.
1: Okay, so 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 for some context, put it into boundaries why we say it's not mainstream yet. So a few days ago I, I just went on I was geeking out, checking out some stats, so really diving into. And I checked the ranks and stats on Ethereum, the wallets or OpenSea. And we, we can, but assume that that has the biggest, it is the most mainstream, even not remotely close to being traditional mainstream, but that is the most adopted, That that is the general consensus. And what I've saw was from the total market, there's about around 2.5, not even 3 million Active wallets, Ethereum wallets that hold NFTs, that have an NFT in their collection. And imagine some people have multiple wallets. So you can say, like, 2 million is the population of people who are actively or remotely active. And I I did some based on the data. I'm not sure how accurate that data is. One of the wallets I checked that had like one NFT, one of the impact theory NFTs, like only that was in the top 50th percentile. They're just the, the, the relentless, just that. So, and that just showed like, wow, a lot of these wallets have just either have none of the mainstream project or are just exploring like Polygon or the ones you don't hear or see even. So, that's just to give a brief description of how little activity there is still compared to traditional. So, if we're talking about being niche, I think that is still pretty niche. How do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, so so it's, it's really hard because I'm going to give you an example. The very first NFL, NFT that I got, my very first out of my first pack, the first moment that I got was the Tom Brady debut, debut. So it wasn't a rare, it was just a common debut. There dollars 10,000 10, serials of it. So there are 10,000 editions of it. But it's the official Tom Brady NFL NFT debut, which also happens to be his record breaking throw. See, with that throw, he broke the record for most yards ever thrown by a quarterback in NFL history.
1: Very, very special moment.
0: Yeah. But there are 10,000 of it.
1: Still 10,000 is people thought that 10,000 was a lot, but apparently it isn't.
0: No. So here's the thing, like in a grand scheme of things, if in 50 years from now, this is like mainstream. Like real mainstream, and we have billions of NFL fans who are actually in possession of NFL what? NFTs. Like this can be considered one of the holy grails.
1: Yeah, and you right? can also Im- imagine people. Some people are gonna lose their wallets. That that's that's just gonna happen, or lose why, access why to. Why it. do you
0: have to break I, have to bring I that up? What's,
1: I'm what's, not bringing yeah. it. It is the reality that there aren't yeah. the assets that are kind of like lost in limbo and which yeah. amplifies this digital scarcity.
0: Yeah, but for, but, but that means that for 10 years, and that's the whole thing with the, with the book games as well, for keeping your NFT, I mean, you can flip it if you like know how the market works, you can flip it and you try to get, I mean, you've already won basically because you've already have something that has real value and then. You get into the point where people are like, just let's flip it. Let's make some money off of it. Instead of keeping it as a collectible for what it's worth. I mean, I'm always considering getting an enough, enough, what is it called? Infinite object with this Tom Brady. I don't know if you know infinite objects, but infinite objects is basically like this high tech kind of, it's basically a video frame. I mean, you can just buy a video frame or video photo frame put your usb be in it and just put all your sports collectibles in it and put it on the wall. Like, you can do that. But this is, this infinite object is really like very stylish and beautiful. And then you're-
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. It's uh... Yeah.
0: Should you do it or do it? Tyler, no, I did not lose it. Let's, Let's be very clear about that. I did not lose it. I'm never gonna, I'm not gonna lose it. It's just, what do I do with it? The next ten years. I mean, it's just gonna sit around there. I'm gonna. There's like a very small percentage of NFTs that I'm really want to hold for the next ten years, and that's just one of I think five NFTs that I have that I really feel like I don't want to after give this one up.
1: Tyler, did you get any? Well we wait for Tyler's response or hopefully you got some but yeah coming back the 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 infinite objects looks nice and going back to that relatable part i'm not sure how to place it in how to make it more relatable to someone else, because it is such a niche space. The best way I can think of is usually bringing back, you know, other analogies, like, as you said, hoarding and stuff, everyone, you usually you have women who collect shoes or something. Everyone has a collection of a certain thing, but I guess the way we talk about it, the language we use, and because it is so new, kind of uh, detaches that relatable part probably, and the, the narrative is kind of what people see in the media kind of detaches from that as well as seeing it as a cash grab, because that is mostly what is happening now in Twitter and media. And we've talked about this at length at the very, very first episode we had around the scams There there is kind of a, a different picture being painted by the general, general media, our, our, our masses. Oh,
0: okay. Okay. Fairness. Okay, nice. So the first thing I did that I feel like already changed, and I feel more people are doing is like, most of the artwork, or most of the canvases that are hanging around in our house, are pictures that I took. Of course, we did Instagram. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I know Instagram. Yeah. so those are kind of things that hang in our house a lot. So instead of art that you would normally purchase, we still have some artwork, like from real artists that we really like, but in general, these are being replaced by our own collections and things that we own, that we made or that we bought. So instead of like a regular art piece, it's all of a sudden like the, the poster that you would hang in your room as a child. Now that's being replaced by this infinite object, which is like Basically a video frame.
1: It's more dynamic. You you can swap it in and out to to, to showcase. And
0: And it's a little bit less obstructive in the sense that it takes. Like when I was 12 or 14, I used to have a Stone Cold Steve Austin poster on the wall in my room, which was like one, like like six feet. Yeah, it
1: was really really life sized.
0: almost life-size kind of poster and I, I back down like, yeah, let's really you walk into children's room and they are like, bah, it's like really plastered all over the wall. And, and this is a little bit more subtle. So I actually shared the link uh, in the chat. I don't know if you can share but if I share, I actually my internet connection kind of
1: uh, Oh, yeah, I, I got it open. Uh, let me pop it up for a second here.
0: Yeah. So for people that are wondering, like this like, like, is yeah. So yeah. this is like it's really, really styleful, and basically it's it's just a, a photo frame. And I'm wondering, like, how much would this just cost if you would buy it like locally? How much? Would
1: it, you did, this, this should, should be cost? able to be fabricated. We should get the uh, jewelry and uh, the IoT lab on it, like because it's it's just a piece of plexiglass, You you need some tech behind it, a, a screen and a way to push the data, even yeah. uh, either it's on a network or, uh, So what I think they do here,
0: I, what I think if you could scroll up, because I think that's the one where they jump in kind of to the, Yeah, you can feature. So I think it's with a chip. So you can't replace it because nah, it's, it's, pre-loaded.
1: Really it pre-loaded. it's
0: kind of preloaded in it. And, and that makes it this smooth silky design, which is really thin.
1: Yeah, uh, but basically, it's, you'd be able to customize it with any type of frame and that we, we can do that locally with even uh, unique uh, frames, even nicer looking ones, custom design, custom carved, just plaster that piece of tech in between.
0: Yeah. And Diego, I want to, f- I want to support local entrepreneurs. So let's find somebody who really wants to do this. And uh, that person will have my full support.
1: Yeah, this is a definitely a, a good opportunity uh, to look into. And as you said, this is a not, this is a different avenue we could take to make these things more relatable, moving towards digital, and or kind of merging the traditional and the digital in a space.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the steps we need to make. Another step we really need to make is like have a good NFT project for sure. Now, in general, which is kind of hard to do. If you ask
1: me, I, I, I want to talk about that about for a second because. In the groups, or oftentimes, not just the groups, when it comes to tech stuff, new technologies, new stuff, we always approach it from the lens of, we need to make something for Suriname or through that lens, or how can it benefit? And it's very less through the lens of how can this be adopted by the masses? How can these customized frames carved by our indigenous be mass produced and be shipped to someone in Estonia, shipped to someone in Vietnam and adopt a global market. And I've had uh, several sessions with startups and stuff. And one of the things that happens in Silicon Valley, for example, is that they, from the start, they have a global mindset as, you know, that the market, the globe is their market and it's not constrained to a certain region or, um, certain area. Of course, uh, each area has its has its specific niches for certain things, but coming back to that, is it cause of coming back to the half States uh, collectivist approach? Is it cause you think that psychologically or why, why do we always default? No,
0: to no, it's, it's, it's the, the first question that you have to ask yourself is what's the reason for doing this? What's, what's the goal? So if the goal is, to, if the goal is to make money, which is the case for Silicon Valley. The approach is always going to be like search a market where the biggest market is. So you first have to differentiate to let's say we're going to do an NFT project in Suriname. Then you can have two goals. The first goal is very commercial, it's almost capitalistic. It's like saying, I want to make as much money as possible with an NFT project, the Surinamese NFT project. And your goal is to make as much money as possible and to get as much profit as possible, or at least have the highest turnover as possible. Then you get into the kind of thing like doing it for society, like getting through these people to understand what NFTs are, getting involvement, community involvement, and then it translates to something completely different than making money. So that's a decision that you have to make first. Like, is this for some, for the people to, to have something to hold on to, or is this just to, to make up, to get a gain a financial gain from
1: it. Jonathan has a comment here. I think NFTs are a big thing because there's too much money in the world. And COVID-19 has contributed to this as well. This is going to have a big effect on making digitization more human.
0: It's an interesting point. So I want to focus on, you can focus on the second part. I'm going to focus on the first part. Is there too much money? Is there, is there too much money in the world? I feel the shift is there's. there's a lot of value creation at the moment. And I think it's, it's really weird because what's happening now, even if like 8,000 of those, how many, how many cryptocurrencies are there in the world at the moment?
1: Oof, uh, last I checked, it's a list on CoinGecko is like 12K, yeah. 13K. So, so let's see. But that, on, coin, uh, you,
0: on, on CoinGecko is 13K on CoinMarket cap, it's almost, it's almost 18K.
1: But so you can't just categorize all of them as, you know, utility or as no, a use but of cryptocurrency. But, but still, let's, let's a space in general. yeah, Space in general.
0: Let's look at, if if we look at it from a more like traditional level, there are around 200 currencies in the world. Let's say there are like 200 currencies in the world. Yeah. Like these yeah. are national Ford currencies, connected. Countries, yeah. Connected to a local
1: economy,
0: yeah, and all of a sudden that moves from 200 to 20,000. And
1: I, I don't think it's fair to make that comparison. I don't oh, think it's, it's not, fair.
0: It's not fair from a uh, practical. People are actually going to use it. Statement.
1: No, but, but because you 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 mentioned there's 200 like yeah. uh, traditional currencies based on local economy. Yeah, but. I could also argue there's all these companies with loyalty programs, with uh, gift cards. I also see them as a type of currency that's being used within the economy back to a national currency. And yeah, but here's the that is time. how most of no, no no no, but here's the 18K can um, also be.
0: Yeah, you can interpret it like that, but again, like how many companies in Suriname do you know that have a real loyalty program? It's like a very small percentage. Yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's even close to five percent.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's that's a fair point. But so, but
0: my 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 question here is: there is so much value creation at the moment, and and taking into consider because even if those twenty k cryptocurrencies, all those twenty k cryptocurrencies, ninety thousand eight hundred completely wash off. At a certain point, they worth a certain value, and somebody made a profit off of it, and basically all of it started with zero unless you just bought into something very expensive and lost all your money. But like there were airdrops, I'm not sure if airdrops is still a thing now. But like,
1: uh, kind like, of less. Kind yeah, of, the hype has pass passed.
0: Yeah. But there's a lot of value creation. And what I'm noticing now is that the airdrops aren't free anymore. But in the previous cycle, a lot of these things were just free. You got free well, money if you're like well, if you had thousands of dollars that you got from free
1: money. Free is also relative in that term because you know you you get these airdrops and it's basically you create. See, I, I don't want to go too deep in you know mar- market mechanics and how these liquidity pools work and etc. There there is a pool and essentially you introduce it into the wider ecosystem and kind of value flows from one value flows in the form of a currency or a monetary value from one asset to the other. And that's how you have these swaps. And basically you have these airdrops like ENS that have a certain utility that you can govern or vote on how certain protocols work. And that has an associated monetary value to it. So they kind of, you know, linked or packed these tokens to the other assets that kind of already have like monetary usability value. And that's how the value gets transferred from one asset or one token or currency to the other. So it isn't necessarily that it's uh yes, it it started from zero. It was a free airdrop, but it's just a transference of value from one asset to the other within the wider economy. But yeah, yeah for I the mean, sake of not getting just, too technical it's, on it's, that.
0: No, but it's, it's, you're, you're right. It's, it's kind of this, this market, a movement that you have to do. And, and of course it's, it, it isn't all free and it, it does had the money has to come from somewhere. So I, I agree with that part, but I still feel like there was like a lot of new wealth.
1: What, what happened in my opinion, what happened is Many people saw this hype happen that, you know, people who are avidly active in the space that have these, you know, bags and have the liquidity to be able to make these types of moves, kind of took advantage of that situation and started like similar projects, promising similar things and people like, oh yeah, uh, this one worked out, let's go uh, into the other one. And for the, the people already in the space, it's, it's like a very minuscule risk. It's like, okay, let, let's test it out. But the people outside who are not that deep in the space kind of see, oh, that's happening. That guy made like 20x, 30x just for getting that airdrop. They've kind of go in like going blind and they're like buying this and no, don't know what they're getting into. And that's how these rock pulls happen. Kind of both said it in our last episode. You need to get rocked to really understand what's going on. So you have that's to, the, yeah. That's, that's an unfortunate side of, you don't have to, but it's kind of the fastest way to learn and, you know, kind of forces you to understand kind of e- economics a bit and cultural way okay. on hype cycles. Okay.
0: So we went a little bit geeky on it. Can we now bring into the relatable part? Like how can we make people have a better understanding of what NFTs are? And how you can avoid drug pools or because a lot of people are searching for opportunities and in case you don't know in Suriname, a lot of hinges on, on taking chances. I like really gambling. Like gambling is pretty big in our society.
1: E- even though gambling is pretty g- big, I would still argue that most the average Surinamese is not a big risk taker, they are risk averse. That, that, that is actually how I feel, uh, how the general, the the average person would react and not just them, but most people, they are very risk averse as in not taking calculated risk and instead going straight for gambling. On the one side, it's kind of how society kind of shaped it maybe, but on the other side, gambling is an addiction and thirdly. Some people are just forced in certain situations and then it's like all or nothing, but someone who is in a stable position, has a job, etc., cetera, tries to mix and meet every week, every day. They're mostly risk averse. They're just trying to retain what, what they have. And the, the people who actually make more profit are the people with usually entrepreneurial tendencies they, those are the biggest risk takers, but even that is a small group. So I would say um, that no, we're not risk takers. For the most part, it's more like risk aversion.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It's still a little bit shake. But could you repeat the last part that you mentioned?
1: Yeah, in in my opinion, the the majority of the people are pretty much risk averse. the, the, contrarily, instead of uh, risk takers, the, the risk takers are a small subset group, and most entrepreneurs fall in that subset. And then you have the the investors, but yeah, the, the average person with an average income is pretty much risk. they trying to retain their survivability.
0: I'm trying to to check out Jonathan's comment as well, saying it's it's like it's it's digital assets. It's it's not just real estate, but digital assets, and. As always in gamble, when you go in first, I, I kind of somewhat agree with that as well. I think, but I still think like we're not taking enough opportunities from it. I mean, in some cases, you want to leapfrog. In, in some cases, you could take this technology to your advantage and, and do something with it to kind of solve issues that weren't easy to solve. Like there are so many. But there's so many use cases where you can use this new technology to actually solve problems that society deals with. But it's it's so far. How should I say it? It's so far off the radar for most.
1: Yeah, parts. people don't know about it, uh, and it's very. It, it's still a technical barrier for most. Yeah. Technological, not say technically, technological barrier.
0: So, but then from, from, from advisory perspective, kind of, would you say like, wait until the technology matures and then jump into it or say like, if you really want to leapfrog, you should put everything in your power to kind of put yourself in a better position than other countries in the world, for instance.
1: Okay. So when you're talking about you, are you talking about Vietnam as a country or the people as a are- country?
0: As a, as a country. So goes. like for instance what what Julie is doing which we talked about with Julie when she was here she's kind of already putting the first steps into place to having a program but still if you have that program most likely you're going to be behind compared to western countries so if if you want to have like a leapfrog situation where you can actually be in front of i mean you don't have the resources to 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 fully
1: the biggest resource is human capital, basically. And yeah. the the expertise, because it is mostly, we're in the information, it, it is mostly information. We all have access, most of us have access to internet, which is the most important part. So if I'm looking at it from a like country perspective, should the country, should the, should the government, you know, allocate resources to that? I wouldn't say resources per se, but human capital, It's it's more about getting that experience, knowledge, and expertise. There are people in the tech space. But uh, should
0: the government do that? Because like the government is a pretty rigid system.
1: Yeah, no, it it shouldn't be the government uh, in my honest opinion. It should just be the people with an appetite for innovation and technology. And mostly the, the younger entrepreneurs trying new stuff to give Take, take a look at this at least. And if we're talking about leapfrogging with new technology, it's either, you know, first mover advantage is you take the biggest risk. If you have the capital as well, you can also make the biggest gains, but that's a risk reward play the, the I, I think the, a more appropriate approach would be a fast follower. While following the, keeping a close eye on the trends. Uh, that are happening keeping a close eye on the technological because the development cycles are so fast in a few months things change keeping a close eye on that but learning from others the west see what works and following up quickly on that so but not be a late adopter so I i think the sweet spot that the most practical approach would be fast follower in the current position we are in
0: but do you have the resources to be the fast
1: follower what resources do we need? Let's define these resources.
0: So if you're a fast follower, you're able to somewhat copy the system, like of the first person that made it possible.
1: Yeah, copy or improve on it.
0: But in order to do that, you have to have the necessary resources. So you have to have people with the skills that can actually
1: Yeah, so so as I mentioned, the, the biggest resource is human capital. And that is where human so capital okay. expertise that that is well, the, so the part of the equation of,
0: of the equation where human capital plays an important role and then the next question comes to train this human capital to maximize its potential well how do you do that like the traditional school system is not going to work for that
1: or yes, is- it that 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 is the tricky part i, I i'm not so well versed in uh, that aspect to form a clear path or framework on how to do that. But with anything, if you look at how the, the entrepreneurial programs kind of now it, it is businesses taking it upon themselves to fill in that gap, to kind of package uh, startups, uh, students to be, be prepared to take that step. And it, it, it's going to be a, yeah, kind of contradictory, slow process trying to pass follow, but you're going to have to start with a small core group and not kind of niche it down and not try to deploy it to the masses at first. So I, I would say find that small group and that, that kind of is hungry to uh, do developments in that space. But
0: Which brings you back to the first question. Are you doing it to reform monetary gain? Or are you doing as to change life or your society? I think that's a very what, and I'm not saying one is better than the other or one is wrong and the other isn't, but it's something you have to take into consideration. It's it's yeah, something a, also
1: yeah,
0: and clear
1: generally helps. Yeah, a, a clear goal and vision help helps tremendously on that in that end. So to close it
0: off, I guess. We have to do some over-unders.
1: Yeah, we we, we could do some quick ones. So I'll, I'll pick some from the the pool I was brainstorming, but you can always go back to this kind of have a pool already. Do you want to do it like
0: thematically or you just like, shoot anything you have
1: towards me and I'll figure it out. Yeah, let, let's go with anything.
0: Okay. So for those of you who are not familiar with this segment of the show, welcome to Overrated Underrated. Where we ask each other or our guests the question whether something or not is overrated or underrated, or in some case properly properly rated, and of course our guests are are we are free enough to elaborate on a topic, whether we like it or not. Diego, you can go first.
1: Blue check marks. Overrated oh, you like, uh, You be like
0: verified profile. Yeah. I think they're properly rated. Okay. I think I think they're overrated in the sense that the value that a blue check mark adds to your status. But they're a little bit underrated in the sense of how important they are to platforms, how important it actually is to have a, a blue check mark. So I would say properly rated. So for you, let's start off with coffee.
1: Overrated. I don't drink coffee much myself. The only type of coffee I drink is iced coffee. I do not, it's eat, not, really. I don't really need that or I'm not addicted to that caffeine. I can drink a coffee now and then, but I'm more of a tea person. So for me, coffee is kind of overrated. I, I do admire the people that go through the whole roasting process. And, you know, you, you see all these videos. Roasting it, slow malting, pouring the water in a certain way. That is quite fascinating, but coffee as a drink itself, kind of overrated. Should I take this one from this? Yeah, let's take this one. I'm going to cheat here. Is the whole crypto space overrated or underrated?
0: See, the, the the main reason why people think the crypto space is overrated is because 88% or at least 80% of the of the information on there It's, it's gonna, it's gonna be redundant by 10 years.
1: Uh, apply the, the 80s. Yeah,
0: it's, it's just, there's so much crap there that it's like, it's, it's gonna, you have to, you can compare it to domain names. Like these things go, they're at a certain point, they're so overrated that they completely crash down and they, they become underrated again. So you have to imagine that like 20 years ago, people were like domain hunting. These people were literally trying to buy cheap domains so they okay. could sell them later.
1: But today, yeah. March 1st, 2022, Yeah. in your opinion, is the crypto space as a collective overrated or underrated? It's
0: slightly overrated. And that's why I feel the bear market isn't done. And then it's going to be underrated again. So, okay. I mean,
1: yeah, I, I think the time, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: the biggest thing with it being overrated is there's just too much, which is not relevant and doesn't contribute at all. And then from the other side, the change that it's going to bring, we haven't seen the tip of the change that crypto is going to bring. So from that perspective, it's, it's. It's a little bit overrated. I'm gonna make it a real fun one for you. Pumpkin.
1: Pumpkin. The orange. Just pumpkin. Okay. Underrated. Pumpkin. What's it? Huh?
0: Uh, pumpkin. Yeah. yeah. and Dutch. Yeah. Pumpkin. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Underrated. I re- I really love pumpkin. De- depending on you, how you prepare it, or how it's being prepared. I'm not saying I can prepare it. Amazing. <laughs> I like it. The people who don't like it. it, it it's, it's a personal taste, but I like it. In, in, and yeah. it, it goes well with most stuff for me. And Yeah, pumpkin is, I mean, it it, it adds, also
0: has some health benefits. Health.
1: For sure. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure what exactly for, for eyesight or so. I'm not sure I believe it completely, but I enjoy the taste. Okay. Last one for me, going old school pop culture. Pokemons.
0: Sorry, but I'm going to have to say overrated. I mean, and and you know, let me tell you why it's overrated. And it hurts me like a little tangent. I have two kids. One is seven, one is four. And right now we have Netflix and I do want to kind of want to bring Disney plus back because my son wants to watch certain movies that are more Disney-like. Mm-hmm. And my daughter is fine with Netflix because there's enough girly stuff on there, but Netflix now has all these old cartoon series that I was a big fan of when I was a kid. True. like like crazy things like Inspector Gadget and oh really? Yeah, yeah, it's even different. it's completely different. It doesn't have the the da-na-na-na kind of tune. It's still hidden somewhere. But they kind of try to reshape it to make it work and appeal for the younger audience, like Inspector Gadget, but also Tom and Jerry, just like classic stuff, things that I really enjoyed growing up. And I try to kind of put it on to make my kids watch those cartoons, and they're like, "No, we're we're not buying this. This this doesn't <laughs> work for us." And they're taking these kind of new shows that I don't have anything with, which I have to admit are pretty damn good and actually better than the old stuff that we used to watch. Because it has evolved. So I'm kind of like if if you're good and, and they've managed to kind kind of keep the brand going, the Pokemon brand going. It, it it can be it can be properly rated, but for me, as somebody who hasn't been like really into Pokemon, I, I mean, like, I the only thing the the level of knowledge that I have about Pokemon is that Pikachu is overrated. That's that's the only thing that I know. Like, when it comes to actual powers, like I know he's not even on the top of the food chain, but everybody knows Pikachu, but he's yeah. not even near like one
1: of it's the like followers. the Boaster child.
0: Yeah, it's just a post job, which is weird. Like, it's like a franchise saying like, this isn't even our starter, but this person looks good. So this person is going to be the fran- face of our franchise, but it's not like even real, one of the real legendary stars. It's, it's kind of weird. I'm trying to wrap my head around it, but it's, it's just weird. So, so from that's, that's the level of, of knowledge I have of Pokemon. I really, I don't know how to play the game. I never played Pokemon Go. So for me, it's definitely I, I don't have the same connection with it. So it it's kind of a subjective mm-hmm. overrated.
1: Yeah, but the whole uh, overrated under it is subjective. <laughs>
0: yeah. So since you went old school on me, I'm gonna bring old school back on you reading books. And I feel like I asked this already, but
1: I think we we did. But to reiterate, I'm going to go with properly read it this time, just because aside from just reading the book, there's, there's a different pace and perspective that you get from just reading a book, but with all these different platforms, especially podcasts and spaces, the live audio spaces, the amount of knowledge you can gain by combining these types of media, just reading online, reading a physical book kind of enhances your comprehension of subjects. So when I read a book on a certain topic on negotiation, and I see just today, I saw a Tom interview Chris Foss, the, the author of Never Split the Difference, which I read like two weeks ago, kind of like I watched that podcast interview. So I think it's properly rated. And why? Because it, it's like a complementary tool to just enhance your comprehension of certain subjects.
0: Okay, okay, let me quickly jump into there. Sure. Should you really never split the difference? It, you, see, I, you, I, I'm not I have the, No, see, here's, here's, I mean, we have a, a book club that reads we, book. Well, I'm part of the book club as in, I'm part of the WhatsApp group. But when it comes to actual books read compared mm-hmm. to like other members, I haven't read them, I've, I've even been close reading them all. And so one of the things that comes up is like. At a certain point, you have people's style and you have also writer's style. And
1: yes, I
0: feel in certain sense that these kind of books actually generate a problem because there is this need that one should win and the other is not winning.
1: Well, let's put it like this. I think... You shouldn't judge, I can't believe I'm saying this, judge the book by the cover or the title. title. Yeah. Because usually the title is either kind of a beat. kind of
0: deceptive, of course.
1: Like the four hour work week, for example, Mm -hmm. but after having read it, I don't say you should never split the difference, but it is one of the most practical, well-written, like really practical. Style book on how to approach certain situations, and it's coming from a former FBI agent who was the top negotiator in life and death situations. Yeah, but then again,
0: you're a negotiator. So here's the thing: when I walk into a conversation, the reason for negotiation is to keep the peace and not have somebody win.
1: Yes, exactly, and that—that is what you get out of the book from most of the examples.
0: It's definitely underrated, and a reading book takes time. We're so uh, fast, yeah. We're really into uh, yeah instant gratification. The instant gratification is real, because I think it's pressure. It's just general pressure, like to to go full circle. I'm flying out in less than two weeks, and there is so much in my head that I feel that has to be done before I leave. I can't get it out of my head that. I have to get this and this and this and this and this and this done. And I feel in that sense, um, atomic habits does help in a way it, it kind of, it moves you away from seeing like, I have to have these goals instead of getting better at something that will okay. make it easier for you to achieve the goals.
1: In terms of writing style and practicality, I would put those two atomic habits and never split the difference in terms of the practicality, and the the tools given, I would both put them close to each other in the real use case. Okay, interesting. Yeah, atomic habits slightly higher, but yeah, it's pretty subjective. But I, I, I put never split the difference pretty close up there.
0: So what's the habit that you are turning with?
1: I need to pick up writing again. I skipped a week <laughs> and oh. never skip twice. Never, Ooh. never skip twice. <laughs> that is one of the Ooh. rules. <laughs> More than twice is the start of a new habit.
0: Okay. 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 Let's, let's, let's see how devastating that is for me. Do you think it will have an effect?
1: We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I I think it also goes with, hype cycles, and that's why systems are important, and being aware or catching yourself in the act of you know avoiding that system, kind of, put reinforces you to kind of go back into it.
0: So you've actually managed to get Danny
1: on Hive. Wait wait, give me some context. Danny Danny. Oh yeah, Danny. Yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah. Uh huh. I did. That's just really cool. That's and cool. and and no, but but there was a specific reason to. And he is posting weekly. Yeah, he's posting weekly memes, and it's getting traction now. And that was thanks to the Gods Unchained community because the Gods Unchained community has the streamers have a strong presence on Hive as well. Yeah, so. That's kind of how Dad got linked together. So finding that niche and group kind of reinforces. That's that.
0: pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome.
1: So yeah.
0: getting getting $50 for memes, it's it's pretty freaking impressive.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really- it, it like, I think the theater for a week, he didn't get any reaction It's like, wait, what's happening? Did the first three weeks are going so well. But I, I think what's was just, you know, I, I don't know what happened there because I think that week, most of it I think, it, no,
0: points. I think, I think, I it, I think it was just up for that didn't go and now he's back to get it. Going, yeah. And so the next
1: week I told him just, just give yeah. it up. Just, just feel the traction. Mm-hmm. People are starting to recognize you. People are starting to notice you. Don't look at the number that you mm-hmm. get, just post consistently. And yes, and it, it's slowly growing. It's for
0: me, it's a really really interesting use case. And I I feel like, and that's something I really want to do is kind of figure a way that also it serves a purpose because I've seen it with, with the, with the Spanish community and, and from the, from, from Venezuela and with the Filipino community, it's really like, you know, like supporting each other. And I think you want to build in at least a support system that people appreciate each other. So for me, my habit is actually going back to posting daily and being a little bit more involved because I tend to drift away and it's starting to happen again. So I want to make sure that I don't let go of Hive being my first main social media platform.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Then looking forward to those daily posts again. Gotta pick it up.
0: Yeah, but they're not gonna... They're not going to be that long, though. It's it's going to be short. It's just going to be, and and that's also something that I've don't,
1: heard. Don't I have. Don't
0: overcommit. I shouldn't overcommit and yeah. go too deep and go fully into things. With that being said, I think it's time to close
1: off. Yeah, that's comments. a nice place to close Are it up.
0: Any, are there any other things that we need to share with people tuning in
1: we will be definitely be back next week at four next week because we have a guest from the netherlands again uh, we're rolling them in more often now accommodating and yeah tune in next week at four Syrian time thanks everyone for tuning in in this awesome episode again fun one it always gets fun when it's just the two of us ranting and go- <laughs> go, going niche. And we kind of went meta today. And as usual, this episode will be released on the podcasting platforms on Saturday. With that being said, Shen closes close
0: This was Social Confos. See you back next week. Same place, a little bit different time. Bye-bye.